Welcome to Bizarre to Brutal, featuring true crimes and scandals that were reported in the hugely popular Victorian newspaper, The Illustrated Police News. What follows are the actual reports from that time. But first, a warning. The writers sometimes didn't hold back from giving the most intimate details of these events. But if you can stand it, you'll get a revealing insight into Victorian life and uncensored human nature. So let's walk back through the mists of time. Seventeenth of October, eighteen sixty-eight. A singular reason for shooting a man. At the Bombay Central Criminal Sessions on the twelfth, before the Honourable Mr. Justice Westrop, Henry Wright, an inspector on the southern extension of the GIP Railway at Yedgebury, was charged with having, on the first of June last at Yedgebury, in the dominions of His Highness the Nizam, murdered Henry Gott. The prisoner, who was an inspector on the 19th contract GIP Railway, and the deceased, Henry Gott, a subcontractor, had lived together since December 1866 in a bungalow at Yedgebury, a place 50 or 60 miles beyond Pugam, where the railway enters the territory of the Nizam. A writer named Lazarus Jacob, a native Christian, who lived in a hut about 300 yards from the bungalow, stated that about seven o'clock on the evening of 1st of June, he heard two gunshot reports, one at an interval of three or four minutes after the other. A little after the second shot was heard, he was called to the bungalow by Wright, who, pointing to Gott's body lying in a pool of blood, said to him, Look here, I have killed him, and requested him to write a note to Mr Bray, the contractor's agent, informing him of what had happened. The prisoner was shortly afterwards arrested and he assigned as his reason for shooting Gott that the latter had not done the work he had ordered him, that he had been constantly speaking to Gott about getting the work done and that Mr Patterson had spoken to Gott on the same subject. It appeared, however that both the men had been drinking. The jury returned a verdict, finding the prisoner guilty of culpable homicide, not amounting to murder, with a strong recommendation to mercy. His lordship reserved sentence. Fifth of December, 1868. Extraordinary accident at Keyes Newsroom, Paddington. An accident of a most singular nature occurred a few days ago in a newsroom in the rear of a shop in the occupation of Mr Keyes Stationer, Bishop's Road, Paddington. And it is astonishing that it was not attended with more serious results. It appears that on the day in question a number of gentlemen were seated in the public newsroom attached to Mr Key's shop. 
all present were startled by a frightful crash of glass. And the next moment, a female form fell on the table around which they were seated. The consternation of the group of newspaper readers, to use a stereotype phrase, may be better imagined than described. When the first surprise and alarm had somewhat subsided, it was ascertained that one of Mr Key's servants, a fine young woman, was in the act of trying to get a duster from the skylight, which covers the reading room, when she overbalanced herself and hence the catastrophe. The poor woman was sadly bruised and injured, but we are happy to say she is now in a fair way of recovery. Fifth of December, 1868. A father charged with the willful murder of his son. William Kemp, 56, a brickmaker, was charged at the Warwick Assizes with the willful murder of his son, Thomas Kemp. The facts of the case were of a very painful nature. The evidence went to show that in July of the present year, the prisoner was residing in a cottage at Prinsthorpe near Warwick, with the deceased, a married son, and his wife. Deceased and prisoner occupied one bedroom and slept in the same bed, and the other bedroom was occupied by the married son and the daughter-in-law. Between three and four o'clock on the morning of the 14th of July, the prisoner left his bed, came downstairs, procured a razor, and cut his youngest son's throat so severely that he died in about a quarter of an hour after. After committing the deed, he went to the adjoining bedroom, roused his married son and said, I have cut little Tom's throat. The son rushed into his father's bedroom and was horrified to see his brother standing in the room in a pool of blood with a frightful gash in his throat from which blood was flowing. He at once got an apron to staunch the wound but deceased told him not to do so, for he was dying and should go to heaven. When asked what had led him to cut the poor lad's throat, the father answered that he was afraid if he lived, he would come to poverty, and so he cut his throat to save him from such suffering. He was shortly afterwards apprehended by the parish constable, to whom he stated that he had got up with the intention of leaving the place, and that just when he was about to do so, the thought occurred to him that if he cut Tom's throat, he would never live to come to poverty, and he then took the razor and went back and did it. The case for the defence was that he was of unsound mind at the time of the occurrence. It appeared that about eight years back, Prisoner had a lightning stroke, since which time he has been very low and desponding. The loss of his wife, which took place three years since, aggravated his disease and increased the depression of his spirits to such an extent as to create alarm among his neighbours and friends. Recently, he has sustained a heavy loss in his trade and that also preyed on his mind to a serious degree. His great trouble appeared to be that someday he would come to poverty 
and he seemed to be deeply affected with the idea that the deceased would suffer a good deal on that account. Several witnesses were called, who described fully the fits of melancholy to which he was almost continually liable. To one, he said he would take a shirt and wander about until he perished. To another, he said that the devil had such a strong hold upon him that he could not pray to Almighty God for assistance. His mind was continually brooding upon future poverty. And on one occasion, he took two knives upstairs for the purpose of cutting his own throat. The jury returned a verdict of not guilty on the ground of insanity, and he was ordered to be confined during Her Majesty's pleasure. Twenty-sixth of December, 1868. Charge of attempted suicide in the street. At Southwark, Catherine Sheen, a young woman with an infant in her arms, was placed at the bar before Mr Bircham for final examination, charged with attempting to cut her throat on a doorstep in the Grange Road, Bermondsey. It appeared from the evidence of a woman named Ellen Carter, a milk dealer, that about 20 minutes to 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, the 13th, she was delivering milk to her customers in the Grange Road when she was attracted to the prisoner who was sitting on a doorstep with the infant on her lap and her hands up to her neck, groaning. She went to her assistance when she perceived that she had an old table knife in one hand, hacking at her throat. She seized hold of her and called out for assistance when a constable came up and removed her. Witness did not think she had time to cut her throat as she did not see any wound. In the struggle, however, the prisoner upset her pail, containing between five and six quarts of milk. Police Constable 119M said he was on duty in the Grange Road on the morning in question when he heard the milkwoman call out for help and on looking round, he saw the prisoner on a doorstep opposite the pit's head, struggling with the latter. He went up to them and asked the prisoner what was the matter, when she replied, Find out! The milkwoman, however, told him she had a knife in her hand and that she had been trying to cut her throat. He took the knife from her and found a kind of scratch across her throat, but there was no blood. In answer to the charge, the prisoner said that she had been living with a man who was father of the child she held in her arms, and he turned her and her baby into the streets on the morning in question. On leaving him, she snatched up the knife and told him she should cut his throat with it, but she did not intend to commit suicide. Mr Bircham trusted that she did not, but it seemed rather strange on her part. He should allow her to be given up to her sister and recommended her to proceed against the father of the child for its support. 2nd of January... 
1869. Alleged attempt to poison a tea party. About 1,400 or 1,500 men, women and children assembled in a hall on Monday evening at Wolverhampton at a farewell tea meeting to Fiddler Joss and his wife on the conclusion of nine weeks' revival services which they have been holding in that hall. Ample preparations were made for satisfying the demands of the keenest appetites. But no sooner had the tea been poured out and milk added that it was evident that something more than usually enters into the composition of a cup of tea was there. On tasting, it produced, though in a stronger degree, a sensation upon the tongue which is felt upon tasting alum water. The greatest excitement prevailed, and at once the cry arose that the water had been poisoned. In the midst of the excitement, Mr Cooper came upon the platform and announced that someone acquainted with chemistry had tested the tea and was of opinion that the alarming characteristics it presented were due to a lump of green copper as having been thrown into the water. There is, however, another theory which perhaps more satisfactorily accounts for the occurrence. Immediately adjoining the hall are the extensive works of Mr E. Davis for galvanising iron, in which a large quantity of diluted vitriol is used, and the infusion flows away over the ground. Now, as the water was drawn from a well, it is probable that some of this liquor has, in process of time, percolated into the well, and thus the state of the water and the alarming condition in which the tea was found. The people had to content themselves with edibles and go away without partaking of potables. But this was not a result with which all were content. A small minority complained that they had paid for tea, and tea they meant to have. Mr Paul, on coming onto the platform after the tables had been cleared, alluded to this and said he understood that some discontented young men were within the hall with stones in their pockets and who were on the platform. He advised them not to do so. At this moment, a young fellow was seized in the body of the hall with the cry of, "'Is one, Mr Poole!' Many strong hands were laid about the neck of the young man and an attempt was made to force him to the platform. He strongly resisted. A struggle ensued, in which forms were overturned and sitters scattered. Children cried, women shrieked, the platform swayed with the weight of its excited occupants, and hundreds, in panic, rushed to the doors, and a threatened disaster was averted by the police, who rescued the young fellow and removed him from the hall. Mr Paul then exhorted the meeting to quietitude and assured them that God would punish the person who had tampered with the water. You've been listening to Bizarre to Brutal. I'm Mark Capel. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to support this podcast... Climb into your handsome cab and head over to bizarretobrutal.com to find out more. See you next time.